Welcome to the Well Ministry Podcast, where we want to help you understand the Bible. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Pastor Nathan Walter. Uh, so, uh, we talked about John the Baptist, and we're going to meet him today um, in verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, made straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Yeah, that's where stop. So John the Baptist begins his ministry preaching in the wilderness, and the message he is preaching is repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And let's, we're going to talk about this message and why? Because, I mean, we often, I mean, I don't know if you've, you've been in a city or uh, been to a, a, I mean, we were at a Christian concert and there was someone out shouting, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And I was like, I mean, we're all cleansed, you know? Um, but, so, but why would this, and usually when someone's out there being like, repent, like, everyone's like not drawn to that person, you know? Like, let's go out of our way to the wilderness to see what this guy's talking about. This is amazing. So let's talk about why this message was a big deal and what he was saying here. So um, it's going to get real serious real fast. Um, so the kingdom of heaven. Uh, if you read any of the other gospels, they often say the kingdom of God. And Matthew is the only one who really says the kingdom of heaven. Um, and the other, uh, this is and this is the reason. Matthew is writing primarily to the Jews. And they um, did not say the name of God. It's very taboo to say the name of God. So Matthew appeals to them by saying the kingdom of heaven. He's not even going to touch God. He's not going to, uh, I mean, he's going to touch God. You know what I'm saying? He's not going to say the word God because he doesn't want to risk offending them because he has a message to bring. He wants them to hear, and he doesn't want them to get to like the third chapter of his book and be like, I'm done because he said God. So he says kingdom of heaven where everyone else says kingdom of God. Um, and as I said before, when we talked about the Magi, um, we talked about there are many people, not just Jews, but people in the East who were expecting a Messiah to come. There was this feeling in the world that a Messiah was going to come, a leader from the Jews that would be like king of the world. And even with the Gentiles looking, the, the Jews are looking and they're waiting and they're expecting something to happen, something big. And so the arrival of John the Baptist and with the message he's preaching, even his appearance drew people to him, which was kind of nice himself, um, I, and I'll get into his appearance in a second, but sometimes appearances draw you to someone, right? Like, I remember uh, when I went to school in Asheville, uh, UNCA, there were these guys that came dressed like, um, I don't know, what they thought disciples looked like back in the day. They were wearing like, like brown wool robes, it was hot. They had like ropes around their waist. And, and they were like Christians preaching the word, and all these people surrounded them to be like, what are you doing? Like, hey, you guys look weird. What's up? And I was all like, you know, and they were all Christian, but I'm like, never was like intrigued by the people. And I'm like, what are you doing? Why dress like that? Why smell like that? What does that have anything to do with anything? Um, but still, you're drawn. You're like, like, man, I want to see what's up over there. What's going on over there? They're, they're, and so his clothes, the way his appearance... Pull people to him, but not just because he looked weird, okay? So he notes that John the Baptist is a fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah, which is that little blurb there. 
And he notes that John wore clothes made of camel's hair and had a leather belt to further prove that this John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah. Okay, because he's wearing camel's hair and he has a leather belt. And so in 2 Kings, we see a description of Elijah in 2 Kings uh, 1.8. Says the king asked them, what kind of man was it who came to meet you and told you this? And they replied, he had a garment of hair and had a leather belt around his waist. And the king said, that was Elijah the Tishbite. I know that fashion anywhere. <laughs> Wearing hair and a belt, it's got to be Elijah. Right? So when he's saying, and he was out there and he had camel's hair and, and this leather belt, everyone's like, oh my gosh, that's Elijah. That's Elijah. I'm going out there. And that's what they would say. Instead of saying God, they would say gosh. Much like us today. So, um, so the Israelites, okay, he looks like he looks like Elijah, he talks like Elijah, it must be him, right? It, it's gotta be Elijah. And just to be clear, this isn't like they believed in reincarnation. If you know the story of Elijah, Elijah was taken up in a chariot of fire, and it was prophesied that he would return. And so they're like, This is Elijah. Now in Mark, I believe it is, he's asked directly, Are you Elijah? And he says no. Okay, so he's not Elijah, but he comes with, with the spirit of Elijah. Okay, but even though we're talking about, okay, he's out there preaching a pen and he's dressed really strange, and he's not like a novelty act. Okay, because just looking like Elijah has no power. Like, I mean, if, you, if you've ever been drawn to someone um, doing something weird and you go up to them, like, and then you talk to them for a few minutes, you're not like, man, I want to follow this guy. Man, this guy, I'm going to stand in the street corner with you. You know, most of the time you're like, hey, he's like, where's that body was? And walk off. You know, I just wanted to see. But this, is, this isn't some short-lived trick. Like, people are coming out, and the thing that drew people to him was the Spirit of God, was what he was saying. Because the Spirit of God is speaking through him, and God has been preparing their hearts for this message. Okay? That's how God works. He prepares people's hearts for a message, so when it comes, they're drawn to it. They're like, man, this is what I've been looking for. This is what I've needed. This is, this is spot on. Before God moves in a big way, he's going to prepare the hearts of his people to receive what he's about to give. So they can understand it. So they can accept it. So they can move in it. And so we, as Christians, we have to make sure that our hearts are prepared to receive what God has for us. You know, we, we have to hunger and thirst for righteousness. I think every church everywhere is just like, we're praying for revival. We're just praying for revival. There's going to be revival. And I often think, are we ready for revival? But I think we think revival is like God's going to come and do something amazing and going to change us miraculously. And we're just going to all of a sudden become courageous in witnessing. We're, always, we're going to become great worshipers. Like when God moves in revival, we're going to all of a sudden start laying hands on people for them to be healed for the first time ever because we're going to believe it's going to happen. Like revival is just this like thing that's just going to happen. It's just going to happen. It's going to be great. Things will happen, right? It's like it's like hey, you know, you have trouble in your relationship, you know, you're, you're, you're married, and you're like, let's have a baby. It's just going to work. It's just going to be great, you know. I don't know if people would do that, but anyone who has a baby is like, that's not the thing. It's just going to make it crazier. Right? It's not some magic thing. That wasn't in my notes. I just came up with that all of a sudden. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? So, but the people are expecting it. The people are ready for this message when John brings it. And it's not an easy message. Repentance is not an easy message. Especially for the Jews. His message is repent. The word itself. Has anyone ever gone to someone and said, you need to repent? Is anyone like... Praise God. Praise God, I do need to repent. You're right. I say it all the time. 
I say, you need to repent to me, children. And they're like, yes, Father, you are right. It's, 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 it's a word we don't like. But because we don't like it, this is, I mean, I get asked about this a lot. But we've kind of turned repentance into, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And then you might be sitting there thinking, yes, it's the same exact thing. I'm sorry and repenting. But it's not the same thing. And this is, this is a question I get asked. I'm going to go here. This is not about, this is not what my sermon is about. Okay? This is not my point for today. But I get asked it a lot. A lot. And people ask about, and you hear my heart in this. I hope you hear my heart in this. People ask a lot about homosexuality. A lot of stuff going to the church about, hey, why can't they be a priest? What, this people say can, this they can't. Like, I don't understand if it's a sin, and they're in sin, and I'm in sin, what's the difference? And I'm not here. Here's the thing. Repentance means to turn from. It means to turn from. 180 degrees. To walk away from. To change. Not to say, I'm sorry, and continue. Like, in... If you're in a relationship and someone continually hurts you and says, hey, I'm sorry, I'm going to keep doing it, I'm sorry it hurts you, right? Are you like, that feels good to me, that feels good. You're sorry you're doing it, you're going to continue to do it, it's not, that's not repentance, right? Saying I'm sorry is not repentance, repentance is to turn, to change, walk away from, okay? But before we get all on our high horse, okay? How often do we repent of sin? Or do we, do we say, I'm sorry, God, that I do this? I'm going to keep doing it, but I'm sorry. I'm sorry, God. This is who I am. It's what I do, right? Or are we truly repenting and turning from sin? Because that's true repentance. So, like, when John comes with this message, repent, he's saying, repent to God. Tell him, I'm sorry, and change. And change and turn away from sin and walk the other way. And that's true repentance. And we're going to touch more on it because he talks a lot about repentance. And they don't really, the people, some people are being changed, some people don't like anything he's saying about it. Okay? So the Israelites, he's baptizing them, and they're, they're used to baptism. Okay? Uh, they typically do this at the temple. They have these baths, um, that pe- but they're not for sin. They're for like purity rites. Okay? Like if you, if you touched a dead body. Right, you have to go wash in these baths and then like wait a certain number of days. It was all about washing and wait. You wash, you wait. So they're used to like washing themselves clean to be pure, but not washing themselves of sin. It's it's this entirely different concept. It's a radical idea, and it's notable that it's not being preached at the temple. This is this is not being preached at the temple. So it attracts some attention that he's baptizing of sin away from the temple. Okay, so in, we're going to jump back in Matthew 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. So the Pharisees and Sadducees, um, they, they come to visit. We're going to hear a lot about the Pharisees and Sadducees. Uh, they're in here a lot. 
um, there throughout all the Gospels. So we're going to talk a little bit about Pharisees and Sadducees. Because we kind of understand that these guys are bad. But we don't know why. The Sadducees, they're like Jewish aristocrats who ruled over the temple. So at this point in time, if you remember, God had set up the system for how the temple would be ruled. It'd be ruled by the Levites. They were the priestly um, group that would take care of all the things in the temple. But at this point, these priests are basically, not all of them, but the high up people in power are actually like noblemen who bought positions. Who bought positions for their children. Right? So these people, these Sadducees, and they're kind of more loyal to Rome. They're loyal to whoever's going to keep them in power. Right? So they like, but they rule the, the temple, right? In Jerusalem. They have these positions, they haven't earned them, they're not they're not Levites, they just bought these positions. They're very secular, they they are loyal to Rome, not to God, not to the Jews. So they're kind of um, disliked. Okay, so the Pharisees. And actually, we kind of know more about the Pharisees. It kind of gives us more of the, like, heebie-jeebies. Like, oh, Pharisees. Like, it's like, you know, you never hear... You hear people being like, you're a Pharisee. Did you ever hear people be like, you're a Sadducee? <laughs> no. See? Doesn't happen. But now we know what a Sadducee is, so you can call someone a Sadducee. And you're like, you're not a Pharisee. You are actually right, a Sadducee. Right? Okay. Don't call people either. Um, just so. Um, so, the Pharisees are actually responding to this. What they see is heresy within the temple. So they're leaving like local synagogues. They're in little towns, like local churches. And they're very into the law because they're rebelling against the Sadducees who they don't think are keeping the law. It's not important to them. They just want this position of power, right? But the Pharisees are like, we need to, we need to get back to our roots. We need to be about the Torah. We need to be about the law. But their issue is they take it a little too far. It starts out as a good thing with the Pharisees, but they take it too far because they start making up like their own rules. You know, kind of like kind of like churches do sometimes, where like they make up things and then they're like, "That's actually more more powerful than what the Bible says." Right? What we just said just now was as good as what the Bible said. They like picture that meeting and someone's like, "Hey, we should make a rule this." And like that's as good as the Bible. We should add it. Right? And it didn't. So one of these rules, just to give you an example of how ridiculous it got, was like to be clean. Like, if you washed your hands um, and, like, you uh, held your hands this way and the water dripped this way, you're dirty again, right? You had to hold your hands this way. All the drips had to go downward, right, to remain clean. Is that stupid? Do we agree? That's stupid, right? Pharisees, so stupid. All right, so, but that's kind of how ridiculous it got. I mean, can you imagine how many times you have to send your son back in the bathroom to wash his hands? Oh my goodness, that'd be your whole day. Like, get back in there and wash your hands on a trip like this. Come on, help me out here. So, and, but they taught that their traditions, the thing they said, were more important than what the Bible said. Often, some of the things they said would contradict with what the Bible said, and what they said was more important. But, so these guys hate each other. They hate each other. The Pharisees and Sadducees. But they come together in their hatred of Jesus. And in their hatred of John the Baptist. And what's that saying? An enemy of my enemy is my friend. I think that's 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. I don't know. It's, no, it's not in there. Um, but if, if hate, here, this is just a le- lesson, life lesson. If hatred brings you together in common cause, most likely God's not pulling those strings. Okay? <laughs> You're like, praise God, someone has brought me someone who hates that person as much as I do. Right? That's probably not God. It's not God. Okay? It's not even going to take out the problem. Okay? 
And John calls them out. And they walk up, and he's like, you brood of vipers. And, and vipers are just like, I don't know if you know what they are. They're snakes, okay? And, like, these, these particular vipers would, like, sit under rocks and, like, were always, like, just waiting in, in a surprise attack to get you and attack you, right? And he's just saying, you're doing that. Like, these people are just trying to work, just trying to live their lives, and you're just sitting there waiting and watching to attack. That's all you do. That's why he's calling them vipers. So he's not just name-calling. He has, he has a purpose behind it, okay? And again, he talks about... And the reason he's calling them vipers is like these the rules they're making don't apply to them. All the rules that they make, they don't adhere to them. Okay? It's not really about them. Okay? They're kind of like Congress. Like, <laughs> oh, I'm just firing shots today everywhere. All right. Oh, that's your health insurance. This is ours. Um, anyway. Um, but... That's, that's what's happening. He's like, you're putting all these rules on people. You're watching and waiting for them to make mistakes, and you're not even keeping the rules, right? I saw you yesterday, and you didn't wash your hands like that, right? So he, he's just kind of calling them out. And again, he talks to them about repentance. And this is a big concept, and this is new. This isn't like, you know, as Christians are like, yeah, we know about repentance. The Jews should know about repentance. But they thought that Abraham had done so many good deeds. He's done so many good works that he essentially bought them all a place in heaven just because they descended. They're like, yeah, our ancestor was so awesome that like we're all good. We don't. They, they didn't think they had to do anything. They were just, hey, we are Abraham's people. We go to heaven. Repentance is for other people. Repentance is for the Gentiles. In fact, baptism was something the Gentiles had to do to be washed into Judaism. They could come and be a part of what they're doing. They, they couldn't come all the way into the temple. They had a reserved spot in the back. But they had to baptize themselves into Judaism. And now he's saying, no, you need to baptize yourselves. You are dirty. And they're just like, this is like, it's kind of sacrilegious to them. They're like, this is crazy. You're telling us, the people of Abraham, that we need to be baptized? And then not only did he say, you need to repent, he said, you have to keep the fruits of repentance. We see this throughout the New Testament. And sometimes it gets a little confusing. There's like this total argument or concern about faith versus works. Um, what's, what do we do here? You know, because James talks all about faith produces works. And then people are like, but if faith produces works, but works don't give you to heaven, but works are the evidence of faith. Like, but it's not that confusing. It's not that confusing if you really think about it. It makes a lot of sense, okay? If you've turned from sin... If you've changed, you produce fruit of that. People can see. People, people, if you're like, if, if you seem exactly the same, I mean, you're not producing fruit that you've changed. When you change, it's obvious. It's obvious. Like, if you change jobs and you have to dress differently, people can see a change. Even if it's just on the outside, they see change. Hey, something's changed. Something's changed. You got a, a new job. Why are you all, why are you all shaving? Why are you clean shaving? <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know, it's like there's, there's something different. And he's like, hey, if you truly repented, if you truly turned from sin 180 degrees and walked away and you're walking a different direction, you're living a different life, we should see that. We should be able to see that, right? Um, it's not just for outward show. It's not just for like mere profession. It is a changing of the heart. You have to, you have to change your heart. I remember... Um, 
I remember uh, in where I was raised, we had these um, small churches with pews, and it was like, you know, 100 people. Um, and, like, you knew everybody. And, uh, like, everyone would go up and, like, repent on Sunday morning. And, like, this guy, this one guy, I'm not being judgmental, I'm not casting a judgmental spirit. But every week he would be like, he like, cry, full, full tears and everything, and be like, I, I'm just, you know, this is all things I've done, and kind of give a testimony to everyone. And essentially, it would, like, the following weekend, there would be, like, a ranger at his house. And so I was, I, we would always joke and be like, he might as well just be like, and pray God on different part of my house Friday, 10 o'clock, BYOB. <laughs> you know? Like, and we were like, it, I, so then when he went, we'd be like, oh, here he goes again. Like, he, uh, there's no change of heart. Nothing was, was being changed. And, I, and I, I'd have done the same thing. Done the same thing. But repentance produces fruit. And John is telling them, you think you're secure because you're descendants of Abraham, but you're not. God will raise up a new people. God will raise up these stones to be his people if he needs to. He will raise up a new people. He wants people after his heart. We're not after his heart. We, uh, we're, we're just after salvation and we feel like Abraham bought it for us. So we don't have to do anything but judge everyone else who's not. Right? And, and the same thing goes for us. We can come from Christian families. We, we can know the word of God. They knew the word of God. We can check the box. Yes, I'm a Christian, Protestant, whatever. But are our hearts after God? Our hearts like, man, I want what God wants. I want what God wants in my life. Like, or do we produce fruit showing the world that we are changed, that we are different? Right? And too often, it's not the case. That's kind of the problem, is that they don't see any miraculous change. They don't see us acting any different. And so it makes it seem like this God has no power. Like it's not real. Like it's made up. Because of evidence of what they see. They're not seeing evidence of the truth of the change in us. So... John says in verse 11, I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So, John is baptizing them with water for repentance. He's not baptizing them into Christianity. Okay, that's not a thing yet. He's baptizing them into repentance. And he tells them, someone is coming more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. And he's saying at this point, because slaves at that time are who carried sandals. So he's saying, I'm not worthy to be this person who's coming slave. And he, I'm baptizing you from sin, but he's going to baptize you with a different baptism. He says, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And he will separate those who are his from those who are not. And this is described with the winnowing fork and the threshing fork. So, so to separate the wheat from the uh, chaff, you would use the winnowing fork and they would throw the wheat in the air. And the chaff is light, so the wind just blows it away and the wheat is heavy and it falls and drops. So it's really a really simple way to separate what's usable from what's trash. And they would just throw away the trash and keep what's good. And he said, when he comes, this is what he's going to do. He is going to separate... What is good from what is not, right? And it even talks about, often the Bible talks about the wind blowing this back and forth. And, and the, the wheat is heavy. It has some depth, but the chaff just goes wherever the wind blows. And he says, he will separate those 
who are his from those who are not his. And he, so he, and he's telling this to the Jews who are up to this time convinced they're 100% safe from judgment. And he says the Messiah that you're waiting for is going to come with fire to separate those who are his from those who are not. But he also will baptize them with the Holy Spirit. So see, John's message wasn't all doom and gloom, okay? Wasn't all, wasn't all doom and gloom. He was bringing hope. Like, you shouldn't just have someone that's out in the street yelling at people with nothing good to say, with no hope to offer, just being like, repent because something, right? And they're like holding something, like a sign that they wrote something, and you're like, that's misspelled. You should really not in that. Um, but like... He had hope. He had hope in his message. He was saying, repent because Jesus is coming. He's going to fill you with his Holy Spirit. And yes, he'll separate those who are his from those who are not. But he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And this was a big deal to them because the Jews, they had been waiting for their Messiah. But they've also been waiting for the Spirit. They have been waiting for the Spirit just as much as they've been waiting for the Messiah. If you read the Old Testament, Ezekiel 36, 26, he says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. In Ezekiel 37, he says, I'll put my spirit in you and you will live, and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. Ezekiel 39, I will no longer hide my face from them, for I will pour out my spirit on the people of Israel, declares the sovereign Lord. Uh, Isaiah 44, for I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. And then Joel 2, 28, and afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. So even in John's message of repent, he's saying repent, not like you're so awful, you need to repent, God hates you. He's saying, repent, because someone is coming who is going to fulfill everything we've been waiting for, and we need to be ready for his arrival. We need to be ready. These are the things we've been waiting for. Ezekiel prophesied it. Isaiah prophesied it. Joel prophesied it. All these people who spoke of what God was going to do. This is the time. It's about to happen. We need to get ready for what God is going to do. And as they're coming, coming to get to repent and be baptized, who appears with Jesus himself in verse 13? It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my son, my love, with whom I am with him I am well pleased. So when Jesus appears to be baptized, John says, No, I'm not worthy to be baptizing you. You need to baptize me. I'm the one who's dirty. I'm the one who has sin, not you. And some people claim because Jesus said, No, I want to be baptized, that they were like, Ha, see, he had sin. He needed to be baptized. But Jesus came to show us the way. He came to bear our burdens. Um, and honestly, he's too righteous to wear the skin of man. He's too righteous to bear sin that was not his. He's too righteous to sit there and argue with temple leaders to try to prove that what he what the word was was already like he's arguing with people about the word that he wrote. You know? Like that's not what the Bible says, um, actually. Uh, this is what it means. And that's that can be pretty frustrating. Like me I remember um, um, 
when I would write songs, we had this guy who was like a super fan. He would call me and he'd be like, what's the song about? And I'd be like, oh, it's about ship sinking. He'd be like, no, no, it's actually about this. And I'd be like, no, it's not. It's about this. He'd be like, no, no, and you'd argue me. Argue with me about the song. And I'd be like, you don't know anything, kid. I just want to know it. Why Eventually, I was like, you're right. That's what the song's about. You're right. Right? But Jesus, think how patient he is to be like, no, no, okay, that's not what it's about. I wrote it. This is what it means. He's too righteous to do any of the things he did, but he did it because he wanted to show us the way. And he didn't take any shortcuts. And so he's baptized by John. And after he is, heaven opens, the Spirit of God descends on Jesus like a dove. And God speaks and says, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And in this passage, all three persons of the Trinity are present and active. God speaks, the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus. What an amazing moment for everyone who's present. This is crazy. To see the Trinity at work, in action, for the first time. You're waiting for this Messiah, you're waiting for the Spirit, and all of a sudden, both present at the same time with God speaking. It's like, man... Everything John is saying is true. Everything John is saying is true. Okay? So, and they see this face to face. They're seeing Jesus face to face. They're getting to take part in what's happening. Especially John. John is taking part in this. Seeing the spirit that had been promised. Fall upon Jesus. Hearing the voice of God. This is the generation. They get to see it. This is the generation. They're getting to be a part of it. And John, it's to usher it in. But at this moment, John has to step aside. Amazing moment. Pinnacle of his life. Everything he's lived for. Everything he's been prophesied to do. His whole life being told, you will do this. You will do this. This is what you were born for. Let me tell you a story about, I saw an angel in the temple. He told me I would have you. He told me what you were going to do. He told me what you were going to do with your life and who you were going to be. You are so, you're so important. He has drawn so much attention. The people think that he is Elijah, the prophet, one of the greatest prophets of all time. Performed miracles, didn't even die, went up in a chariot. They think he's Elijah. People are swarming to hear his words, just waiting for what he's going to say. Everything he says is so important. Everything is directly from God. Lives are being changed. This is it. This is it. God is finally moving. I've been waiting my whole life to begin my ministry, and here I am. And God is moving right and left, and things are happening. And finally, the Son of God appears, and the Spirit we've been waiting for. And Jesus himself, the Son of God, asks me to baptize him, and I know that... I'm not worthy enough to do it, but still he asked me to do it. What an honor. And I do it, and we see the heaven open. This is so amazing. He is such, John is such a big deal. His ministry is such a big deal. It's radical. Radical. Everyone's eyes are on John. What is he going to do? Who is he? Right? He's being used by God. Lives are being changed. Words are flowing from his mouth. And not just words flowing from his mouth. The people are hearing them, listening to them. Their hearts are being changed. Maybe when God's like, I want you to go out and just preach repent. He's like, oh, that's, that's a hard message. He's like, don't worry. I've prepared their hearts. They're going to be changed. And he goes and he gets to see God moving all around him. And then he has to hand it off. And then he's got to give it back to God. 
From this moment on, he disappears from the story. Except one more time, and that's not a great story. He completely disappears. All of a sudden, the man they thought was Elijah, the man who was going to proclaim Jesus and, and show him to the world, now that moment has come, he's fulfilled his mission, and now, now he's nobody. And camel hair, and a leather belt. He's nobody. He had to step aside. He had to get out of the way. He had to give it all back to God. Lord, I've done, I've done what you asked me to do. And now, how many times, how willing are we to give it back to God? Like, because we can get pretty wrapped up in our ministries. We can get pretty wrapped up in who's listening to us. We can get pretty wrapped up in how important we are, right, to the world. How difficult is it for, for us to hand it off? How often do we fight with God? How, how often do we hold on to our own part? We hold on to our own way. We, we hold on to the things we work for. Say, God, you told me to build this. You told me to build this. And he's like, yes, I told you to build it to give to him. <laughs> Let me tell you how hard it was to build this, right? Uh, that wasn't the fun part. I wanted to be the one to receive it, right? But he has to hand it off. He has to become nothing. He has to give it all back to God. Whatever you want, God, I did what you asked me to do. I got the people ready to receive Jesus. But now Jesus has come and the Holy Spirit has come. And they're going to do great, great things. You are moving in this direction. And I, all of a sudden, John has to be like, am I a follower of God or am I a leader of man? Am I a follower of God or am I a leader of man? Because sometimes when you follow God, you're no longer a leader of men in a huge, important way. God, God can say, I want you to do this. It's a small thing. But it's important. I need you to do this, but it's a small thing. But it's important, and that's what I want you to do. So often we question, like, are you sure, though? Are you sure, God? Because I'm looking at, I, I, I just feel like I've, I've got more to give. I feel like I'm not done. I feel like I've got more things to say. Right? But God's like, no, no, John, I want to do something different. I'm going to do something better. The moment you guys have been waiting for in your entire lives is about to happen. But I need you to direct your people that are following you to Jesus so that he can be their leader. So they follow what he says, what he does. Now, John, the best way you can serve me is to give it back to me become nothing. Can we as a people step aside and let God do what he wants to do if the time comes? Because I see generations holding on to it and holding on to it and unwilling to pass it off. We, we're, we're unwilling to train up the next generation because they may take right and like, oh, and take our jobs. Right? But the church lives forever. The church is not about one person. It's not about one group. It's about every age group. It's about what God wants to do. And God is going to do something in the next generation. And then he's going to do something in the following generation. And we are a part, we are a part of preparing the hearts. It's not about us. And one day, 
We might just be doing the bare minimum. But will our hearts be excited about what God is doing in everyone else? Do our hearts get excited about what God is doing in someone else? Or is it all about us and what he's doing for us? Can we step aside and let God do what he wants to do? Sometimes our heart, our part, is, is part of preparing the hearts of people for what God's going to do next. And we may not be leaders in what God wants to do next. We may not. We might be bystanders. But can we be bystanders who are cheering on what God is doing in the next generation? Can we cheer on what God is doing in someone else that's not us? And can we say, because it's really cheering, if we can't cheer up the cheer, someone else on when God is moving powerfully in them and in their ministry, we can say, if we can't cheer, and we're like, whoa, man, this guy is a competition, right? This guy, this guy is kind of an enemy, that's kind of how churches get, kind of like an enemy. If we can't cheer on, then it's all about us. It's all about us. And this is a continual problem in the church, continual. Not, not, just, not just generational, but, but peer-to-peer. Man, if someone comes up and says, let me tell you what God did in my life, and we're like, that's awesome. Or we're like, why didn't God do that for me? It's not about us. It's not about us. And when we are willing to step aside, when we are willing to do whatever God calls us to do, the big things and the small things, especially the small things, everyone is willing to do the big things. No one wants to do the small things. John did a big thing. It's even harder to do a big thing and then move to a very small thing. But John did it. He did it. He became the most important person in all of Israel to not even the second most important because he was his job was just to point to Jesus. And then he, he goes away in a very tragic, hard way. He does, but he was willing to do it for the glory of God. Are we willing to do that for the glory of God? Is it about the glory of God? Is it about his people? Is it about his mission? Is it about what he wants to do? We may not see revival. Maybe our job is preparing the hearts of the people for revival. And we get no glory and we get no attention for it. Is that okay with us? Because it should be. We need to be a people who are willing to do the mundane tasks in the kingdom of God if that is what God has called us to do. It's not about the glory. It's about what God wants to do. And let me tell you something. God is going to do great things. God does a great thing. God does a great thing. He fulfills the, the word he's been saying he's going to do throughout the Old Testament. It's finally come to pass. What if God's been speaking? He's going to do something amazing in, in this time, and his people are not willing to turn it over to him to let him do it. We've got to be ready to turn it over to let him do it. Let him move so that we can truly see revival and see hearts changed and see repentance. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you and I praise you. I thank you that you're so patient with us, Lord. I know there's so many times I've repented and it's really been more like a, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I'm like this, God. But you're still patient, Lord. There are times in all of our lives when it really is about us, Lord, and it's not all about you. And still, you are patient. And still, you seek to bless. And still, you'll bring about your word. And still, you'll bring about your prophecy. You are going to move. You are going to do, Lord. Thank you that we get to be a part of it. And I just pray that you prepare our hearts. Prepare our hearts to be more like you. Prepare our hearts to be willing 
to be whatever you want us to be, to do the mundane, to do the minute, to do the things that are unimportant, to get no glory at all so that you get the glory. Because if it brings about your spirit, if it brings about repentance and revival, if we get to see you move, if we get to see your power, Lord, let that be what we want as your people, to see you move, not to see us move, not to see you bless us, Lord, that we would want you to see you bless others. Bless, bless the world that you would bring people to you, Lord. I just thank you that you are moving in a mighty and awesome way, Lord. And I just pray that we could just get out of your way and let you move in a mighty and awesome way, Lord. Just move in a mighty and awesome way, Lord. Just, just change our hearts and make us new. Lord, help us to bear fruits of repentance that we can truly be a people who want nothing more and to see you get the glory, all the glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about The Well and other resources to help you study the Bible, go to thewellministry.co.